And here we are live. Uh, you can see uh, Mr. Rayo sunning himself just oh so beautifully on the uh, uh, on some shoreline. <laughs> you, did you hop on a plane last night to get uh, to to go to some tropical paradise? I guess it's because we're <clears throat> going to be talking about tropical weather that I figured, well, we might as well have a perfect backdrop for this. So here you are. All well, right. Here we are. And. Uh, Speaking of tropical weather, of course, uh, everything is front and center with respects to Marco and Laura. Uh, do you see them here on the visible satellite loop uh, this morning? Uh, it's 11 a.m. Eastern time. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sunday morning edition of the Joe and Joe Weather Show, where it's all about the tropics, and it's all going to also be about uh, the threat for severe weather in the northeast and northern mid-Atlantic states on uh, on Tuesday. So we're going to do the tropics first, and then we'll segue over into the other stuff. Uh, Joe, uh, two hurricanes making landfall in the Gulf, uh, along the Gulf Coast in uh, uh, 48 out within 48 hours of each other. That still looks to be the plan. And I'm thinking, just looking at Laura and everything else with respect to the upper air, that Laura has a chance to, to become the season's first major before landfall uh, if uh, once it emerges into the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I think so too, Joe. Um, the waters of the Gulf, very, very warm. There, and there really doesn't appear to be anything that's going to knock uh, Laura down in terms of any kind of significant uh, upper-level shear. Um with all due respect to uh, Marco, Marco will march into the uh, Gulf Coast, probably will continue on a mostly a northwestward trajectory, but uh, probably just dry out, so to speak, over a span of uh, time. But uh, Laura certainly looks like it has more going for it in the uh, in the uh, coming days ahead. And yeah, I would I would agree this this would not be surprising if uh, if uh, Laura ended up being let's say a cap three or maybe even higher, dare I say, uh, even higher than that. Well, I, I would, yeah, I, I don't know if I, I would push that, that upper end of the envelope. I, I want to see what it looks like, uh, what happens once it emerges, uh, how much damage to the core of the storm is occurring with it moving over all of Hispaniola and now moving uh, over Cuba. You look at the satellite, though, it's kind of maintained a very interest, a very solid signature all the way across. So my guess is at this point that perhaps the core is in pretty, you know, pretty solid shape. And yes, uh, the, the, uh, the upper trough in the western Gulf of Mexico that's creating uh, strong uh, upper air winds throughout much of the Gulf is going to be retrograding westward back into Texas and into the southwest. At, once Laura gets into the Gulf, those strong upper air winds are going to be all gone. And Marco also is a very small storm. I just want to make this point with Marco, even if it becomes a minimal hurricane, and it probably will. It's almost there based on the, the recon this morning. It's a small system. The uh, gales only go out uh, about 50 or 60 miles to the northeast and uh, a little bit less than that uh, to the northwest. Uh, they actually go out 100 miles out to the southwest, which is interestingly enough because of the fact that you have this deep upper trough and strong south-southwest winds uh, involved uh, in the mix. So this is not something that is going to, it's going to impact a small area of coastline. And I agree with you in that once it's inland, it's likely to probably weaken relatively quickly. So while it's going to have impact, I, I, I'm, I'm 
emphasizing the fact that the impact is going to be over a, a <clears throat> relatively small area of geography. Which was good because, you know, you, if you were to have a hard-hitting storm uh, affecting a broad area and then follow it up within 48 hours with an even stronger uh, weather system, that's not true. You know, a lot of people forget, Joe, that when we had Gloria in 1985, two days before the Tri-State area encountered Gloria, we actually had a tropical storm pass by. It was rather small and rather fast moving and didn't really have all that much to say. But that was uh, Tropical Storm Henri. So we had an Henri. We had some rain. We had some gusty winds with that. And then the main event was two days later with Gloria. And I suppose that for if you live around the New Orleans area, uh, Marco will be the opening shot. And then uh, then Laura will come along with, as the main event a couple of days later. And that'll be the, uh, the storm that'll make all the difference as to uh, adverse conditions in and around the, uh, the Gulf <coughs> Coast uh, next week. All right, so so let's let's get uh, let's get started with the <clears throat> with these um, systems. Uh, there's a number of watches and warnings that are up, and and uh, uh, they uh, cover the Louisiana coast uh, for uh, Marco, where we have hurricane warnings up for southeastern Louisiana. This includes the city of New Orleans. The one thing to watch here is the angle of approach because it is coming in from the southeast. So where the landfall takes place will be very important. But again, it's a, it, it is a small system, so you're kind of uh, shooting at a very small target here. Uh, we've got uh, watches extended a little bit further to the west uh, into uh, coastal Louisiana, uh, probably as a precaution in case we take a little bit of a hook to the left. And uh, tropical storm warnings up for the Mississippi and Alabama Gulf Coast. We have tropical storm watches that are up further east to the Alabama-Florida state line. There hasn't really been too much change in this and, and in, in terms of uh, where the watches and warnings are. And we're also seeing tropical storm watches up for the uh, Florida Keys along with the coastal waters, the coastal waters tropical storm watch. And this is for Laura uh, as it moves uh, across uh, Cuba. Laura having a bit of a bigger wind field, particularly on the north side, Joe. One of the things that's happening here and that's different from Marco is Marco is interacting with an upper trough. Laura, on the other hand, is interacting with the very strong upper ridge to the north. And this is creating some rather strong winds. Most of those strong winds are offshore, but uh, there are some strong winds uh, occurring because of the, the tight gradient with that high. And, and that makes that's a huge difference between the two. Right, right. And uh, that is going to be the key as to why Marco is going to uh, weaken, especially when it makes landfall, as opposed to Laura. Laura, as we just post, mentioned, is probably going to become uh, noticeably stronger. It's going to be certainly a more robust tropical cyclone. And uh, it's going to have a it's going to have a say in weather well after it makes landfall, Joe. As we will certainly get to in a few moments, uh, its track taking it uh, up into the Midwest and maybe eventually having uh, some some say, not not a direct influence, but I mean some say in our weather as we close out the upcoming week on on Friday. Right, and it'll be in the form of ahead of another cold front. I, I don't think you would notice. The, I, I'm thinking you're probably not going to notice the difference too much with regards to uh, what would have happened in, in the cold front with or without the, uh, Laura. Uh, satellite loop of Marco is up. It still has this sort of north-south 
stretch to it. And again, this is the upper trough in the Gulf of Mexico. Notice that there's, there isn't a cloud, hardly a cloud anywhere in the central and western Gulf. And this is, again, uh, the trough at work and the strong south-southwest, uh, the, the strong southerly flow pushing up those clouds to the northeast. Now, the shear is not strong enough to rip the core of this apart. And in fact, it, it seems to be holding its own in terms of strength. But that uh, bright white ball you see is a small area. Uh, there isn't a lot going on on the west side of this. I think this is going to be one of these systems when they come into the coast. Uh, you're not going to see too much happening west of the center. And I can tell you from personal experience, Joe, having a hurricane, Elena, in 1985, coming in from the east uh, into New Orleans, which is, a, a, which is the worst way you could have a hurricane come in. But uh, the storm was so small that it literally... On the west side, the strongest wind that we experienced, I mean, there were some gusts with some bands that came in, and the storm was, was, was while it was almost a Category 3 at one point, uh, it was in a weakening phase as it approached, and the strongest wind gust, I, had, I lived literally about 10 miles from where the eye passed, uh, could not get a wind gust higher than 15, 20 knots. Wow, and that's how small it was, and and its impact was virtually minimal. So I'm not trying to say that the same thing's going to happen to Marco, uh, but I just want to just just pointing out that the the size of the these are not every hurricane is different in terms of structure and in terms of of of, uh, of of impacts. We have a lot of other things in the atmosphere that create systems that are distorted in one direction or another. They make them large. They make them small. They make the gale areas big. They make the gale areas small. Uh, in this instance, we're talking about a system that uh, the, the wind field is going to be small. Rain, I think, will probably be the bigger issue in the area that uh, the core of this moves over. And uh, the other thing to, to, to worry about because of the angle of approach is that area in southeast Louisiana and along the Mississippi, Alabama, mm -hmm. Gulf Coast, because that well, the Gulf water is being pushed into that very narrow zone. So that that is going to probably create some tidal flooding concerns. But, Joe, at the moment on the satellite, the signature to me doesn't look any any different than it did yesterday. And I don't think we're going to see this change very much uh, going forward. Now, I, I, the thing that con concerns me, and I'm looking at the latest discussion, technical discussion from the National Hurricane Center is, is that this 72-hour precision, 26.8 uh, and 91.4, still has it over the Gulf of Mexico, and the uh, peak winds 90 miles per hour. Then when we move to 24 hours later, at 96 hours, they move it inland. It's 27, uh, uh, excuse me, 30.9 north, 94.0 west. And yet, the 24 hour uh, late, 24 hours later, it has a peak wind of 100 miles per hour. Hold on, hold so, on, hold on. Wait a second. Let me, let me. That doesn't sound right. It's inland and it's got a peak wind of 100. That that can't be. Well, Joe, I'm just saying right now at 96 hours. And this is for Marco. Miles per hour, and they do say inland. Right, but this is for Marco, or Laura. This, uh, this is for uh, for for Laura. I'm okay, sorry. you're talking Laura. Okay, yeah. Let's be clear. We're still talking Marco. I'm sorry. I, oh, that's I'm all sorry. right. I'm, I'm sorry. I was I, I was you know looking at the uh, the information here, and uh, that immediately took took precedence when I saw that. I said, 
But what I was trying to get across with that, with Laura, is that if it's, if it's 90 miles an hour when it's still well offshore and 100 miles an hour when it moves well inland, you've got to believe that what they're thinking, though, that the National Hurricane Center is a dramatic increase in the wind uh, to just to... Just Somewhere in between that time frame. In fact, they right. do mention, they do say in their discussion for Laura, by the way, that uh, even though they only take it to 85 knots in that one period, they do say that it, they, it, it, there's a fair chance that it's going to be stronger than that when it makes makes landfall because there's some time in between. So, yeah, I, I, going back to the argument that this could certainly certainly get to a strong category, too, and, and, and maybe there's time for it to, you know, there's going to be time for it to even make a category three status uh, as long as the uh, the core remains intact, but and, Mark, and Mark Marco's not going to do that. No, no, Marco Marco is is as as you just pointed out a few moments ago, Joe. We have two tropical cyclones, and they're facing two tropical two two different two different things. Mar uh, Laura is going to be interacting with a high pressure ridge, which certainly is not going to slow it down in terms of uh, potential intensification. But Marco, as you just pointed out a little while ago is facing uh, an upper level trough. It's gonna be facing the potential of getting uh, ripped a little bit uh, uh, figuratively um, and literally, I guess too, before making landfall. And that's why Marco does not look like it's gonna uh, become quite the st storm that Laura looks like it's gonna be. But 75 mile per hour, uh, it's only uh, you know, five miles per hour away from that now. Right. And it's it looks like it's going to be a a cat one when it makes when it makes landfall, and that again will be followed uh, by Laura. And Laura looks like a more formidable storm. In fact, you know, I keep thinking about Katrina. I think about that Saturday night when I went to when I went to sleep. I looked at it. It was like a cat two. I said, okay, well, it's going to come in either as a cat two or a cat three. Wake up the next morning, the damn thing was like verging on category five. Yeah. I said, what, what happened? What the hell happened in just a few hours? And that that scenario. Could very well. Ha I'm not going to say it is going to happen, but don't be surprised if that scenario happens with Laura again, uh, where it just suddenly intensifies, you know, off the wall in just a very short interval of time. Because we're at that same time of the year now, late late August, and we're in the same area of the of, of the world, the Gulf of Mexico adjacent to New Orleans. Why, why couldn't it happen again? It, it might very well. Uh, well, well uh, again, what does the core look like when it moves out is going to be key. Now, I, I have the model track guide because I saved the one from overnight just so that everybody could see the comparisons of what's happening. And, you know, we, met, we talked yesterday uh, on, uh, on the show that this was one of those instances. Usually the model track guidance tightens up as you get closer. And with the systems that we've dealt with this year, it's been kind of remarkable that in those in those particular systems how tight uh, the uh, the envelope was uh, with the uh, her, the uh, model track guidance with with the, the prior storms. Isaias was one. Uh, it, was, it was fairly well behaved inside a very tight range, and the and and the models handled it fairly well. Uh, in this instance, though, as we go out in time, uh, we're seeing we have started seeing the spread get wider and fairly wide. And this was from overnight with <clears throat> Marco, some as far left as Houston uh, and some as far east as Mobile with the core of them concentrated over southeastern Louisiana, which made the most sense. And this was the overnight guidance. The new 12Z has tightened up a little bit. 
Uh, it's pulled in the southernmost outlier to about from Houston uh, to just east of Houston and Galveston. Uh, and the um, the easternmost outlier is now at Biloxi, so in Mississippi. So you've got uh, again the the tightening of the model band, the model tracks into southeastern Louisiana, which I think really does make the the most sense to all of this. And the other thing uh, of note uh, is going to be the uh, intensity guidance, which has been fairly consistent from overnight until now. Uh, you have uh, most of the models maintain this as a strong tropical storm or a minimal hurricane. Uh, landfall is going to be a, a little over 24 hours from now. So uh, the, 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 the clock is starting to tick in terms of how strong this is going to get. But I think a minimal hurricane makes sense. And then, of course, you see this rapid decrease uh, once inland uh, after it goes inland say tomorrow afternoon sometime, a mid to late after, somewhere somewhere in the afternoon, I'm going to say middle afternoon, and then you notice the intensities all, all, dry, all drop pretty quickly. So Marco seems to, the, the, the situation with Marco is becoming you know, relatively clear in terms of where the impacts are going to be. And uh, the, 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 the question, we'll see what the plane finds on its next uh, round. And here's the Hurricane Center's uh, earlier forecast from the morning package uh, from 5 a.m. Uh, with the uh, system becoming a minimal, hur minimal hurricane later today, which they still have. The red areas where the hurricane warnings are up for southeast Louisiana, including New Orleans. And then as it approaches the coast, the Hurricane Center's got it making a bit of a left-handed hook there, uh, uh, crossing uh, southern Louisiana and going into southeast Texas. That's the old forecast, the new forecast. Uh, I imagine is um, a little bit of an adjustment here, maybe a little bit further to the just a slight shift to the northeast in the latter portion of the forecast period. Uh, having it a tropical storm once it gets on shore, so it goes for if it's a minimal hurricane, it's the winds are going to drop off relatively quickly and then weakens to a depression by the time we get to uh, Tuesday evening. But uh, the uh, 7 p.m. position is right on the coast, so mid to late afternoon landfall for Marco. Now we can move on to Laura. Yes, Laura. <laughs> and I have to say, Joe, one of the things that strikes me, and this is, again, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, along the same lines that you are with respect to where this is going <clears throat> as far as strength is concerned. Uh, the uh, I, the, the uh, satellite signature when you think about the fact that the core moved over the entire island of Hispaniola, it's now as of 1118, uh, and based on the Hurricane Center's discussion and surface plots, the actual low center has now emerged off the west coast of Haiti and about to take its adventure over the entire island of Cuba. But it's really, the signature on this on the satellite is actually quite solid, considering the fact that it had to deal with those mountains and, and, and uh, rain has been the big story in the Dominican Republic because the, uh, the mountains are just enhancing uh, all of the convection. And you're seeing some pretty, uh, pretty you know, fairly impressive blow-ups of thunderstorms as this thing continues on its track to the west-northwest. But I'm, I'm impressed with the way it looks on the satellite. Yeah, so am I, because I could remember distinctly, uh, 1979, David went right over Hispaniola and got pretty well torn up. It had to put itself back together before making landfall uh, a few days later in the U.S. So I always, based upon that benchmark, 
you always figure that any kind of tropical system that interacts with Hispaniola is going to uh, do a pretty good job of shredding up a tropical system. But the fact is that Laura's holding her own uh, based upon what we're seeing on that satellite loop. And so that's it. And the other thing, Joe, uh, on the 6Z GFS, just before making landfall, uh, according to the GFS now, Laura has a central pressure of 954 millibars. That's 28.17 inches of mercury. And that puts it right on the cusp between a strong category two and uh, becoming a category three. And uh, again, I, I think that uh, there may be some un underplaying of the strength of Laura when uh, she makes landfall. Well, the European, the European model also supports a major there. The European, I believe, got it down uh, into the nine, almost the nine, into the 940s before, yeah. before yeah. landfall. Uh, yeah, so question, the no globals are there. Yeah. But I, I, again, I, I, I'm pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty impressed with the way this thing is, is, has behaved. And, and one difference, by the way, between different uh, with, with uh, David back in 79 uh, versus this is that <clears throat> David came in as a major when it made its landfall and it, and it had a really solid core. And a lot of times when hurricanes have that, really super solid core and they get torn apart by the mountains uh it's it's a little dicey as to whether they recover uh when they move uh, out they never seem to get back to where they were there are some exceptions to that <clears throat> including a few in the <clears throat> uh, relatively recent history of storms that have undergone this sort of experience and wound up coming uh, being stronger ultimately on the other side but uh in this case you have a system that was, you know, it was a tropical storm, but it really didn't have an opportunity to become a hurricane ahead of it. So uh, perhaps the the broader, uh, the, the circulation with the system being a bit broader uh, is uh, keeps most of it over the water, even though the center might be over land. Uh, the uh, most of the circulation is over over the uh, open the over open waters, uh, the north side on the Atlantic, the south side on the Caribbean, and now. Once it gets past the western half, of the eastern half of Cuba, which is mountainous, the western part of Cuba is flatter. So uh, the weight is for this to move out into the open waters of the Gulf of Mexico to see what it does. And that's going to come later tomorrow. Actually, I mentioned in 1979 David, but coming close on the heels of David was Frederick. Frederick. Frederick, Frederick passed right over Hispaniola as well. And yet... It took a path which probably is a lot closer to what Laura is going to take over western, uh, over over eastern Cuba, then eventually skirting uh, the south coast of Cuba, going out across western Cuba, and then turning up into the uh, Gulf of Mexico. And that's a that's a bit closer to uh, what we saw or what we are seeing yeah, with Laura. Fre Frederick's to... a better match because Frederick actually weakened quite a bit as it transversed those islands. But once it got into the Gulf, it, it blew up into a Category 3. Right. And uh, there were islands south of Alabama that no uh, – Dauphin Island, that comes to mind, that, that no longer exists because of, um, uh, of Hurricane Frederick. Frederick was an absolute powerhouse uh, once it uh, got into uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So, yeah, I think that's probably uh, – that's a better that, – that might work – that might make a better uh, fit here. Uh, with what's happening. So here's a model track guidance with Laura from overnight. Uh, the uh, spread actually is not as wide as it was with Marco. Uh, the Eastern, well, I'm, I'm going to throw out the one outlier that takes it up off the West coast of Florida. That's just so far out there. 
uh, that I'm going to just not even consider that uh, to my own, at my own peril. But the uh, the uh, westernmost uh, is New Orleans. The easternmost is actually about halfway between uh, Houston, uh, uh, Galveston, and, and uh, Port Arthur. And everything else is kind of clustered in between in southeasternmost Texas and in, in western Louisiana, west of New Orleans. And that was the old model guidance overnight. The latest one has actually, you still got the one outlier, the, the one super outlier that's now on the Florida panhandle. So it's actually come westward. But if you look at the uh, the ones that are, you got a whole bunch of them now that are tightly clustered in right from the Texas Louisiana state line into Southwest Louisiana. So there's a fair degree of confidence here. And when you add the global models, the uh, GFS is probably right in line with where the hurricane tracking models is, are, where, except that, whereas the European is on the is south. Last night's European is on is south of the southern end. Of, of this envelope. So uh, Southeast Texas, Southeasternmost Texas, Southwestern Louisiana, Joe, to me looks like the target zone here. And, and when you look at the track from off Cuba, uh, that's, that's maximum coverage in terms of miles about how, of how much time it's going to be have over the water coming in uh, at that angle, moving Northwestward. Yeah. And uh, the, Unfortunately for New Orleans, Joe, the worst place that you possibly want to be is on the right side of the path of a, or a track of a, of a hurricane or a tropical system. And uh, it looks like uh, once again, although hopefully nothing like what they saw with Katrina, but it looks like once again, New Orleans is going to get battered uh, for at least a few hours by some uh, very strong to severe uh, winds uh, from from Laura. Well, depending, you know, how tight. We'll have to see how tight it gets. I'll see how far the gales go out. But certainly, rain will probably be be in the cards with this one. Yeah, and we'll <clears> see what the, we'll see what happens. You know, all the things that they did in the aftermath of Katrina, uh, you know, to uh, protect against the next time, quote unquote, the next time. Well, we may be looking in the next few days at the next time for uh, that city. All right, the hurricane uh, um, uh, intensity guidance uh, from overnight uh, was um, most of the models make the Laura a hurricane, and actually a fair number, uh, uh, category two, and we act, when we had two that uh, took it to category three. The new guidance, Joe, has even more. Almost all of them make it a category one. And you have a few of them that make it a two, but you've got one that makes it a three and one that makes it a four. So uh, the trend here continues to be where the models are getting on the, onto the idea that uh, we're going to have uh, this thing strengthened considerably once it moves offshore. And here's the, uh, the old Hurricane Center forecast. It's actually been fairly consistent for the most part. Uh, the new one is... Um, about the same, maybe a shade to the left on the new one. And you see where we have the tropical storm warnings up over Cuba, the north shore of the Dominican Republic, the tropical storm watches for the southern Bahamas and the Florida Keys. Uh, the landfall would be sometime Wednesday night uh, in uh, uh, the way the Hurricane Center has it, uh, coming in pretty much right on the Louisiana-Texas uh, state line is, is right. how they've drawn it. So. The, the European would argue that that's too far to the right. The uh, GFS is kind of in line with this. Uh, the, the models are going to do whatever they're going to do now. So we'll, 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 we'll uh, 
We'll take uh, we'll take a, a break and see what they show us later this afternoon, so we can keep fine tuning this. And again, at 11 a.m., uh, Laura's at 19.2, 73.2. Top winds are 50 miles an hour, and again, that reflects what's going on out in the open waters. West northwest at 21, so it's chugging right along here. Uh, if it were moving at a five or 10 mile an hour pace, I think I think you would see this uh, probably not look as as um, as strong on the satellite uh, th as opposed to what you're seeing today. And I'm just looking also at the future I'm <clears throat> on on my uh, my page here on my uh, monitor. I'm just looking at the upper the 500 millibar uh, height anomaly and uh, looking at what happens after it makes landfall. And the whole thing kind of flattens out. And as you pointed out, Joe, will merge with a cold front. And by the time we get to, what, what's the date I'm looking at here? Zero Z Sunday. By the time we get to Saturday night, Sunday morning next week, the flow is really going to turn into that northwesterly direction. And th thanks, actually, to uh, in part to uh, Laura, uh, her interaction with the front, that uh, upper level wind flow is really going to pull in some nice, clean, crisp, cool uh, Canadian air into our area for next week. Not to say that we're not going to see something like that uh, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday with our uh, severe weather threat, but uh, a prolonged period of, of, of refreshing air coming our way in the aftermath of the passage of the remnants of Laura through our area the end of next week and next weekend. All right, so I've got the upper air up here, so we can take a look at, at the, the the conditions that are existing that exist right now in the Gulf of Mexico, and the difference between the two storms, because this is really <clears throat> the, uh, the the bottom line as far as why Marco is going to do what it's going to do, and <clears throat> what. Um, Laura is going to do what it's going to do. So uh, let, let, let me point out the features on this map. So this is a kind of a combination of two maps. You've got the surface lows that you see there represent the two tropical storms. The winds that are indicated in the colors of yellow and green and orange and blue and white, the wind speeds are <coughs> actually showing <coughs> the layer between uh, say 5,000 feet and 30,000 feet. And what we're looking for here is wind shear or winds increasing uh, with height. So where you have Marco indicated right there, Marco is sitting on the edge of this strong belt of south south of uh, southwest winds in the upper atmosphere. And you, you see they're actually quite strong, running up to 40 or uh, 50, 40 knots or higher. That's a lot. And uh, that is because to the northwest, uh, let me clean that up right here, is this very deep trough. Now, we're looking at the layer at way up at about 30,000 feet here. There is a very, very deep trough that is covering that entire, almost all of the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, the area of light wind shear is down actually in the southwestern Gulf, south of where Marco is. So Marco's having to deal with these strong south-southwest winds because of this deep trough. And meanwhile, Laura uh, is in a totally different place. Laura, over the islands, uh, is in an area, the, the low actually sits under an upper high uh, and uh, relatively light upper air wind. So it's able to maintain itself. Plus there's the 
uh, ridge to the north that covers the Atlantic from east to west, and you've got this really tight pressure gradient. But watch what happens as we go through Sunday and Monday. Marco is moving northwestward towards southeastern Louisiana, but look a little bit to the west of that, where you see the upper trough. That upper trough is retrograding or, or moving uh, westward. Rather than trough, the troughs are usually used to seeing these troughs at higher levels of the atmosphere moving from east to west, uh, from west to east. This one is actually retrograding westward. So the whole area of strong winds in the Gulf of Mexico actually pulls up into Texas and then moves inland. Laura now emerges out into the Gulf, and 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 what is and what is what happens? Well, this whole area here that you um, that you see in the in the eastern half of the Gulf of Mexico is now all light upper air winds. The strong south southwest winds in the upper atmosphere have now moved into central Texas, and that area continues to shift westward. And this create this is now this is creating a much more favorable environment for this system to strengthen. And those upper air winds just continue to re, to hold back uh, in through Texas. Uh, and then, of course, at this point, as we get to Wednesday and Thursday, uh, you've got Laura coming inland. So this is the this is what's what's happening, folks, in the upper atmosphere as to why Marco is doing what it's it's doing in terms of intensity and why Laura will be doing what what it will do once it gets out into the open waters of the Gulf. It's kind of like comparing <laughs> the you, two two people getting on a plane and one one ends up in first class and the other ends up in coach. Right, yeah. And 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 the thing is, one is one is impacting the other because Marco, you know, Marco obviously reacting to the the, the trough that's there now. Uh, but it, it is interesting how in just 48, in, in literally 36 to 48 hours, how much the upper air environment changes from one storm to the other. Absolutely. And that's going to be the main, unfortunately for poor Marco, <laughs> Marco is going to have to encounter and deal with the uh, with those uh, gusty uh, southwesterly shearing winds. And as you pointed out, Joe, that whole area of southwesterly shear retrogrades or uh, ends up going backwards back to the west and as a result uh here comes laura and laura says oh well thank you very much and and into a very favorable environment for getting stronger and uh, potentially uh posing a greater threat to the gulf coast 48 hours later all right so now i'm going to let the gfs hopefully load itself up uh, from the overnight run for uh, a look at the next uh, situation regarding our severe weather and the longer term outlook. So while it's doing that, uh, I do have uh, some of the aircraft, the Air Force Reconnaissance aircraft stuff, because uh, Marco has a plane in there right now. And uh, this is uh, all, all available to everyone on tropicaltidbits.com. Although for some reason that graphic doesn't seem to want to load all the way. So we'll move on. There it is. So this is... Uh, the flight that is, is happening right now plotted graphically. Uh, the last frame, the last uh, update on this one <clears throat> was um, at 1041 Eastern time. So it was about an hour ago. Uh, but you see the track here with the center points that the plane found, the pressure 
uh, first uh, pass was 991. Uh, the last pass was 995. You've got these uh, millibars. You've got the wind barbs. You've got a few of the purple wind barbs, which represent 64 to 83 knots to the northeast of the center. So, you know, the wind field north and east of the center is much more impressive than the wind field uh, southwest and south. Uh, uh, not, not a whole lot happening. And, and this is, again, because of, of the structure that's going on in the in the upper atmosphere. And here's how it, kind of, it looks graphically. I find these, uh, Joe, really useful for tropical tidbits to have these uh, uh, charts uh, with respect to winds. The one on the upper left is mean sea level pressure and flight level wind. The blue is the flight level. The red is the sea mean sea level pressures. And you can see over time on the bottom from the first two passes where you know, the pressure is measured down somewhere under 995, 994-ish, and you've got two rounds of peak winds to about 65 knots at flight level. On the upper right, you see the uh, rain rates and the surface wind, the surface wind in blue, and uh, you do have some peak winds. These are 10-meter winds, uh, one at about, looks like at about 60 knots, and one peak uh, stretch uh, there toward the end uh, reported not that many minutes ago, about 20 or so minutes ago, uh, with winds between 65 and 75, so there are some right. some uh, there are some strong winds there on the northeast side. So this is all on tropical tidbits, by the way, folks. If you ever want to look at this stuff uh, on your own, and uh, with respect to Laura, uh, we uh, this is from earlier today. Uh, let's see if this is the last one because I think they may be okay. So they just sort of updated this. Uh, some winds up at around 50 knots, uh, the, uh, uh, which matches what they have on the advisory. And the mean sea level pressure uh, is missing because that's probably when the center was somewhere over land and they couldn't get to. So we have only about a limited amount of data uh, with regards to that. So um, I think we pretty much covered it all with regards to the tropical systems, Joe. So let's move on to the uh, severe weather risk for Tuesday, which is setting up for the Northeast and Northern Mid-Atlantic states. And the Storm Prediction Center, Mr. Rayo, is pretty much has the same thing it had on its day four outlook. And you and I both know that when they do it in that day four to eight time frame and they show up, an area of severe weather shows up, they're kind of telling you to pay attention. Uh, well, we've got slight risk from uh, Northern Virginia, uh, from eastern Ohio, central, northern West Virginia, northern Virginia, all the way up to Maine. Uh, this, is, this is probably one of the larger outbreak forecasts that we've had in the Northeast this summer. Correct. And the reason, as we mentioned yesterday, is that the uh, front that's going to generate all of this is going to be coming in from the north and northwest. And uh, I really don't see very much, even on Long Island or Cape Cod or the islands or, or down east Maine, or any kind of marine activity to knock the uh, the strength of these storms down, they're going to be coming in you know, again from the north and northwest, and this sometimes results in some of our more uh, severe uh, cases for uh, thunderstorm activity. That is a big, big area, Joe. That, that I do they have? Can you see on your? Uh, uh, they usually like say how many millions of people. Are in oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Zone or whatever. And, and by the way, in case I didn't say it before, this is for Tuesday. Okay, it's not for today, and it's not for tomorrow. It's for Tuesday. So they don't give that. They, they don't give that number out for extended. Uh, right. So the population. Well, they kind of outlined the population of the major cities. I don't see. Do they give a number here? 
so it looks like the area uh, area population is six for fifteen percent risk is sixty eight million nine hundred and thirty two thousand six hundred and nine. Oops, somebody just gave birth to a baby girl. It's six hundred and ten. <laughs> Here come twins, six hundred twelve. I mean, look at that. That's that's the megalopolis, the northeast corridor, and all of it from Washington and Baltimore through Philly, New York, on up to Boston, is in this uh, zone of slight uh, slight risk of severe. And who's to say? Maybe when we get to tomorrow, or maybe on the actual day Tuesday, part of that slight may actually have. Uh, uh, a little bit of moderate in it, or or enhanced anyway. You don't see moderate too often up here, but enhanced, I certainly could 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 see. Enhanced, whatever. Uh, could see. I, I wish they'd go back. I don't know about you, Joe. I wish they would just go back to slight, moderate, and high, because that was a lot easier for me to understand. I know now it's uh, it's marginal, slight, enhanced. Maybe they should add into that to make it slightly moderate, moderately moderate, strongly moderate. Slightly high risk. I was, at the, I was at the end. I was at the National Weather Association conference when the folks from uh, SPC were there giving a presentation about how and why they changed everything. And they went for like a whole hour. I think after the after the hour was up, I think a lot of people left that auditorium still saying it really was a lot easier with slight, moderate, and 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 high as opposed to the way it is now. But that's yeah. that's the way of the world today. It is. All right, so here's the upper air uh, as far as why why we're having to deal with this. And, of course, we've, we've got this steamy pattern that we went into yesterday, and it continues today, and uh, will uh, continue tomorrow into Tuesday. Uh, upper 80s and low 90s, high humidity, scattered thunderstorms running around in the uh, late afternoon and evening. Uh, but we do continue to see this rather busy jet stream that lies along the Canadian border. Here's your upper high in the southwest. Here's that narrow east-west ridge in the Atlantic. That's that's uh, the driver with respect to um, uh, Laura and, of course, Marco uh, moving around the periphery of that ridge. So as we roll through time, what's happening is there's a short wave that drops down from uh, Lake Winnipeg, <clears throat> swings eastward across Hudson's Bay, and, and strengthens uh, rather considerably uh, on uh, Tuesday over New England and in eastern Canada. Nice looking upper low that drops down there. So that's going to bring a, a strong cold front through. And also you'll notice, folks, the rather strong northwest flow, as Joe mentioned earlier, uh, in the upper atmosphere uh, for the middle part of next week. That should bring a humidity break for a couple of days. And right here, of course, is the upper air reflection of Laura moving inland. That trough lifts out. Laura gets pulled northward by another short wave that comes around and heads uh, well west of the Appalachians. But this is going to bring an even stronger trough through here next weekend and set us up for, for some nice dry weather for the last days of August and the first days of September. That trough pulls out. We get into a bit of a ridge. And then another stronger trough swings in uh, through uh, southern Canada and and swings across the northeast. So the uh, the pattern is busy, uh, Joe. The pattern suggests certainly that uh, we're going to get cold fronts on a regular basis. The pattern also suggests that tropical systems are going to have a really tough time 
trying to move up the East Coast if there's a northwest flow uh, running from uh, uh, Newfoundland all the way down into North Carolina. You can't bring storms up the East Coast when you've got a northwest flow uh, in uh, in the eastern part of the United States. So that at least is that's another big plus with this is that we've got some temporary protection with regards to anything else that forms in the tropics and wants to take aim for the U.S. Well, I, I agree to a certain extent about that, Joe. Yeah, we're not going to have to worry about um, the two tropical systems to any great degree. We may get some um, uh, offshoot effects from Laura in terms of showers and uh, gusty winds here on Friday as uh, it links up with that next cold front and hopefully brings in some nice weather for the weekend. But then on the other hand, and I brought this up yesterday, while the folks down in the Gulf states Tuesday and Wednesday are going to have their hands full with two tropical uh, impacts from two tropical systems, we here in the Northeast are going to have to deal with the, that threat of thunderstorm activity. I'm looking at the discussion from the Storm Prediction Center, and uh, they, they, they are pointing out here in the Northeast that they say still with very strong flow aloft, promoting rapid storm motions, risk for damaging winds will exist with any sustained convection. And if more destabilization than currently expected occurs ahead of that cold front, particularly if frontal progression is slower in future model runs, and, and what they're saying, folks, is that if the front is slower, that means that when the front arrives here, perhaps late afternoon and evening, that would make for maximum diurnal heating and make for an even greater risk. If that be the case, they said, even greater severe weather probability would be likely across this area. In other words, instead of just slight, they may very well, Joe, bump us up to enhanced. And so we are going to have our hands full Tuesday and Tuesday night, perhaps, while the folks down in the Gulf states are groping with their problems with the tropical system. So Tuesday looks like to be a very, very active and interesting day here in the uh, in our in, area, in northeast and down in the Gulf. The uh, GFS surface, Joe, uh, 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 whenever you see cold fronts that have those V-shaped, the V-shaped isobar, that always kind of tells you to uh, exercise caution. Uh, it indicates the sharpness of the front to have the wind uh, shift uh, from uh, one direction to, say, almost 180 degrees in another direction or 90 degrees in another direction. Uh, this is a pretty sharp cold front that's coming down. Yes, no question about that. Uh, we saw that. We, I think uh, you and I, we both saw this coming from several days ago and uh, taking note of the fact that with the upper level winds behind it coming out of a nice northwest trajectory, suggesting that we were going to get some nice dry air in here. But of course, dry air and muggy, humid air as we are in now and will be for tomorrow into Tuesday simply do not mix. And that, uh, again, would set the stage for possible severe weather here for later Tuesday and Tuesday night. And, you know, we only have it for about a day or so. And then, right. start then here comes, then, then, then it gets humid again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then of course you've got the remnant low of Laura uh, moving uh, across uh, uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania and bringing some, some, at least on the six Z run anyway, it was a little much further North on the zero Z, but uh, you've got this uh, threat for showers and rain from uh, say later Friday into Saturday. And then another, then after that goes by, uh, you do have what looks like a really nice looking high uh, with some nice dry air that comes in for, for a week from today and maybe lasting for a day or so into the subsequent week that follows. We can only hope and pray. 
and I said bank on this and absolutely bank on this uh, is the fact that um, if we do get some active severe weather here on Tuesday, late Tuesday or Tuesday night, a lot of people on Wednesday are going to say that, you know, and I know nobody on this board, we have over 130 people watching now. No one, of course, will say it here, but in el elsewhere, they'll say on Wednesday, well, was this caused by one of the two hurricanes or whatever? Right. And, and when we get to Friday, I guarantee you this, that with Friday, we're going to get gusty winds and some potential showery and maybe even heavy rains. And you will see every single broadcast outlet in this area. Uh, at least television outlet saying the following heavy rains, gusty winds, the remnants of what was once powerful hurricane Laura headed this way. What does that mean for us? You know, and, and, and again, they'll use that as a way to grab you and keep you, you know, keep you to watch their particular channel. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing the way uh, it, it wasn't like this when you and I got started, Joe, like 40 plus years ago. And then suddenly somebody discovered that, Hey, weather can be really an active and important part of an, an important facet of the newscast and we can actually draw more people in if we play up the potential severity. Right. And I also and I also would like to point out that uh, the old there's an old the old saying is because uh, be, be careful what you wish for uh, because you may get it. And the uh, the, the uh, history uh, throughout as we went through the 80s and 90s as we spent time can trying to convince bosses particularly in the New York market, that was less the case away from New York, but in the New York market, uh, to give weather more time, to give weather more time. And, uh, well, they did. And now, of course, when you look at everything that you have to do, uh, I only can think of the line uh, from Duck Soup where somebody goes up to um, Groucho Marx and says, somebody goes up to uh, Groucho Marx and says, Your Excellency, the workers are demanding shorter hours. And he responds by saying, uh, all right, well, well, we'll start by cutting their lunch hour down to 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's what's happening. You know, we wound up getting uh, our workloads quintupled and, our, and watched salaries get, uh, get cut uh, by 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 percent in some cases. So, yeah, I don't know. It's the world. It's it's the way the world is. We would we would we would back in the day. This is back in maybe the late seventies or eighties. We would be trying to tell the the uh, the uh, management, hey, we really need more time because there's an important weather situation. There's a potential severe weather outbreak coming, a cold front coming, or we have to talk about the hurricanes. And instead, you're right. They would they would find a reason to cut you as opposed to expand the weather. And what did they would and what would they what would they do on on some of those those newscasts, Joe? You know, like I'm Milton Lewis, Channel Seven Eyewitness News. Right. If you're looking for something to do in Fun City, there's no better place to look than East Thirty Third Street. Right. I mean, that's, you'd have stories like that. And meanwhile, you're pulling your hair out because you want desperately to go on and tell people that hey, tomorrow we may have some active thunderstorms that may drop some uh, heavy rain, pull down some power lines or whatever, but they never saw it. And now it's just the opposite. Now, you know, they lead off with weather. They'll spend 10 minutes on weather. They'll tease you before the newscast by saying, what does this mean for us? <laughs> we've got team coverage. It's, it's changed so much over the span of, we, we've gone from one extreme, we've, I, we, and you've seen it too, we've gone from one extreme to the other. Let me uh, say, uh, now that we're back full screen here, Mr. Rayo, 
Uh, let me just uh, say a big thank yous this morning to Steve LaPointe, Scott Briller, uh, uh, Brandon Doherty, Anthony Orr, and Johnny Quest all hitting Super Chat on this Sunday. And Joe and I uh, very much uh, appreciate it. Uh, Reaver is asking me, uh, am I participating in the Bluefish Tournament on Long Island next weekend? I, I, Reaver, I've been so wrapped up in everything <clears throat> that's been going on weather-wise, I didn't even realize there was a Bluefish Tournament next weekend uh, on the island. Uh, I don't know. I... I, I uh, I, I got to see what my schedule is like. I got to talk to all my fishing husbands out there to see what they're doing uh, before I uh, I can make a decision on that. So you know, my son, I was I was in the middle of doing an important. Uh, I was doing an article for Space.com, and my son wanted me to go fishing with him. He said I'll pick you up at eight o'clock in the morning. I just didn't have the time, and that got him. I royally PO'd since he just got me for my birthday a new fishing rod. And I said, well, maybe at the end of the month. I don't know if you believe in these things, Joe, but there are in almanacs or whatever, they actually have calendars to tell you the best time of the month for fishing. And supposedly next weekend is an excellent time, one of the best times this month to go fishing. I think maybe it has something to do with the phase of the moon. No, I, well, I'll tell you something. <clears throat> uh, interestingly enough, you should say that, because I actually was having this conversation with my buddy Phil, who's who I fish with. And I've also mentioned the fact that I've been sp spent, I spend Saturday into Sunday morning uh, binge watching uh, David Attenborough on uh, on BBC, uh, where they do the Planet Earth series, and it's all this nat you know all this wonderful nature stuff, and the show is just so ter ter terrifically produced, and and the music in the background, uh, it, uh, it it's very relaxing to watch. So I have that on in the background as I'm doing things, and sometimes I'll sit and I'll watch, and I, I particularly have have enjoyed when they focused on life in the oceans. And it is amazing how how much uh, the, the uh, moon cycle, uh, the 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 phase uh, the phases of the um, of the moon impact uh, fish behavior, f uh, fish breeding. There are certain uh, squid, for example, in the Pacific Ocean, uh, wait for the actual the day of the full moon in November is the day when the females come out to meet the males and dance this sort of ballet together as they choose their mates uh, to uh, lay millions of eggs. So th th there, is a, there is a lot. Uh, there is a definitely, there's a huge connection between how, how fish behave, the full moons and, and the tides signal certain behaviors regarding feeding, regarding breeding, and, and, and so on. So there is a lot to that. Uh, believe it or not. And there's another thing about uh, this area here that works quite well uh, as far as the wind direction is concerned. When the wind is from the east, you catch the least. When really? the wind is from the west, fishing is best. Well, you know, if, if, if there's anything to this, to this uh, discussion with the moon approaching full, I think, next weekend, and uh, with the fact that we're calling for a northwesterly wind and drier air, yeah, it might be a great time to go fishing. I, I still remember as a young boy, though, uh, uh, fishing near the Atlantic Beach Bridge. You'd have entertainment while while fishing. If you weren't catching much, and we did a lot of snapper fishing in uh, Reynolds Channel, and that's where the Atlantic Beach Bridge is, right over Reynolds Channel. The entertainment, of course, being that when a sailboat came on by, they'd have to raise the bridge. And sometimes you'd get one of these giant oil tankers, like the, the Paragon oil tankers would come by 
And then they, I, the thing I always noticed about the Atlantic Beach Bridge is when a, when a sailboat came to open the bridge, the bridge would only go up about like that. Right. But when the oil tanker came, they'd open up full way. And uh, it took an awful long time for the tanker to steam on by. But again, entertainment while you're waiting for that uh, pole to snap with a snapper. <laughs> uh, let me just say a big thank you to Kenny Salerno uh, for hitting Super Chat as well today. And Kenny says, why do people give this show a thumbs down? <laughs> You're getting real weather. I, I don't know if they're giving the are they giving us the talent a thumbs down or are they giving the weather that we're forecasting a thumbs down? I have no idea. Um, I, there are some, and there are some people that that uh, are reflexively negative. So I don't really. I don't put too much emphasis on. I'll give a thumbs up again. I'll give a thumbs up again. I'll give a thumbs up again to Steve Lapont, Scott Briller, and as we go down the line here, Brendan Doherty and Anthony Orr and Johnny Quest and who else? There was one other person, uh, Kenny Kenny Salerno, who says, "Why why are they giving us thumbs down?" I don't know if they're giving us the thumbs down, as Joey, as you just mentioned, giving the weather. A thumbs down. But, but if they're giving us the thumbs down, I consider that a compliment. Huh. <laughs> okay. Listen, you don't honest the, the way I look at things. I just, I, and I think there's a lot of truth into this. The folks that that um, will complain about somebody, uh, you know, whatever they post on social media, whatever it happens to be, and to me, it's it, it's you know what, you don't need to if you don't like it, just move on. Uh, it's not as if you're you're you telling me that you you disagree with my opinion really matters too much. I I, I love the fact that I had somebody actually complain to me that I posted too much that uh, uh, I posted too much weather on my on my weather page. Excuse me. <laughs> I mean, think about think about the logic of that. Or you shouldn't. I've had people tell me this. They don't. This was. They don't do it now because. Social media has been so much of a part of our lives. When it was first, you know, it was the first becoming part a part of our lives. Um, uh, you know, people were expressing their never to be humble opinions, and some of your some of those never never to be humble opinions were pretty silly. Uh, I just want to address uh, one thing that uh, someone just asked about. I just lost it on the chat, so I forgot who it was asking about why Sal uh, Sal Blandino, who's a semi regular. If he doesn't come on watching the live streams, he comments on the videos afterward. Why does? Oh, it was Brandon Doherty. Why he doesn't like rain? And I will answer that from from an earlier experience when I blocked him on Facebook for the first time. Was he made it a point to tell me that he uh, has a quite a uh, he has a quite an interesting social life. Uh, apparently, he uh, is um, very popular with the women, or this is according to him. And when the weather is bad, it interferes with his plans. That's what I, he told me. Okay, so, you know, Sal, all the more power to you. Uh, uh, hang on. Oh, just a second, Joe. I have a surprise. Uh, I think. I lost him. Um, uh... Working on a guest. Hold on a second. On a guest? Yes. Who might it be? Maybe it's Dr. Frank Field. 
Oh, okay. Oh, no, it wasn't. Actually, it was Addison. I was just, I just had Addison Green was going to come on. He just messaged, uh, just, just was sitting in the waiting room on Zoom video, and I was just went to click, and he disappeared. And he just messaged me to tell me that his boss just called, and he has to go on to a, a station meeting. So unfortunately, uh, we were going to have Addison Green, uh, a meteorologist uh, from uh, Houston TV. I forgot what uh, Houston television station he's at. K H O U. K H O U. Yes. Um, all right. So, yes, uh, the CBS affiliate there, I believe. So um, or the CBS, was it a CBS O&O? I, I, I lost track. They used to once upon a time, they were only allowed to own five stations. Now they, they own, you know, they all. I don't know what the difference is between. I got I got to look back the fine line difference between a an O&O. And an affiliate, which there there are differences. Well, there. the own the the station the O and O's were owned by CBS Corporation, owned right. owned those five stations, and um, NBC owned their five, and and ABC owned their five. Then then they extend they expanded it to seven, and then they took the limits off completely, which made uh, it, it made total sense because do you know Joe the price the value of a television station has collapsed over the last thirty years. Really? Oh yeah, they can't give them away because nobody watches TV the same. You know, TV is not the way the actual set is uh, to an extent, but even that is not necessarily true. But um, the, the the in terms of the delivery of content, local television stations are are are, are not worth very much anymore. What they used to sell for hundreds of millions of dollars, they 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 sell for maybe a handful of millions of dollars these days. I wonder. I wonder if uh, what the situation is with radio stations. Well, pretty much the same because uh, didn't didn't a bunch like Clear Channel and a few of the other companies pretty much bought them all. Right. And now, of course, with satellite radio the way it is, and, and podcasts and Spotify and and, and uh, Apple Podcasts and everything else. I, I I don't think you have the, the audience numbers just don't uh, don't exist anymore. Certainly, they're they're about ninety percent. They're down about eighty to ninety percent is how far down they are. My friend Gary Citro, who is a very assiduous amateur astronomer and a proud member of the Amateur Observer Society of New York, uh, points out. I hate to tell Joe that my daughter does nonsense on her channel, and she has over 11,000 subscribers. That is in reference to the fact that this past week, I finally made it up over 1,000 on uh, on YouTube. And that, isn't that the case, Joe, where, you know, the ones who are trying to be erudite and provide information have so much lower in terms of numbers of subscribers? And meanwhile, if you tell silly jokes, or as he just said, the silly stuff on uh, her daughter's channel or whatever, it has so many more people uh, watching. So yeah. I don't know. So let's do some Griller Jeopardy, Joe. You ready? Because this is a, actually talking that. About, talking about silly nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, this is this is serious stuff. And and this uh, <clears throat> this today, uh, the category is I Love Lucy, and the way it's going to work is, uh, I uh, he uh, he, we, he gives us a name, uh, and and um, and the actress, and we uh, we point out what episode uh it was uh, this person was in okay you ready yes all right eve arden well that was the uh when they arrived in california at the uh, at the brown derby correct and, she, and you know they was eve arden 
it was more like a cameo. She was just sitting behind them. And yes. Uh, and, and this was before the whole thing with, and, and they were there and William Holden was having lunch. And that was the And what was the show that Eve Arden was famous for? Our uh, Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks. Correct. Right. Uh, also, Eve Arden, uh, Oscar nominee, supporting actress, Oscar nomination for um, Mildred Pierce, uh, which uh, Joan Crawford won the Oscar for back in the 40s. All right. So Don Loper. Uh, that was the Don Loper. That was the Lucy wanted a Don Loper dress, and and would not Ricky would not give in to to that. And I think I, was that the episode where Lucy and Ethel created their own dresses, and Don Loper stole the idea from them. No, you're mixing. You're mixing two. Uh, that was the when they were in Paris, that was and, in and the they Paris. wanted the Jacques Marcel dress. Okay, and Don okay. Loper then was. <clears throat> went on a hunger strike until Ricky got her. No, that was also the Jacques Marcel dress. So Don Loper was, uh, she wanted a designer dress. There was a fashion show and she would go to pick out the dress, to Don Loper's, and she picked out the dress and the dress cost $500. Okay. And then uh, she uh, decided to try to get Ricky to feel sorry for her by sitting, laying out in the sun and getting sunburned. And she wound up spending, falling asleep. Meanwhile, Don Loper uh, and Sheila McRae was in that episode as well. And Don Loper uh, gives, um, uh, tells Lucy that because the dress she picked, somebody else had already picked and would she mind wearing a different dress and said that she could have the dress that she got for nothing. For free. (laughs) Okay. So that's, that's the Don Loper. Hedda Hopper. Had a hooper. Had a hooper? Had or a had hooper. a hopper? Yes. <laughs> that was, that that's was what Ricky other... called it. Had a hooper. Right. Hooper. And that's when uh, Ricky, uh, they were trying to get Head a hopper to notice Ricky. And uh, there was that one scene at the, at the, uh, at the pool mm-hmm. where we supposedly uh, Ricky jumps in to save Lucy. Right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't Head a hopper. And they the were hopper. looking for her hat. And you'd see that they were carrying flower vases over the wall. So you'd think it was her hat. And where was Hedda Hopper? She was upstairs in the Ricardo's apartment talking with uh, with Lucy's mother. Right. Played by (laughs) Catherine Card, uh, by the way. And uh, Hedda Hopper, the mother of William Hopper, who was Paul Drake on Perry Mason. Right. All right. Now, Cornell Wilde. You never never told me. (laughs) Yes. You know, you didn't ask me. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cornell was the one where uh, she was trying to get him to uh, autograph the grapefruit. No, no. Cornell Wilde was in the uh, in the hotel above, of uh, one floor above Lucy, and uh, she was told. Uh, Ricky told her that she was to not bother him at all. And she was trying to find sneaky ways uh, ways of sneaking in to get into her, her into Cornell Wilde's apartment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the hotel room. She got dressed up as Bobby, right? The yes. Hotel? Yeah. And he was taking a bath and taking and a shower, and he wanted his robe. I remember, and, and I remember now that the grapefruit was Richard Widmark, right? The grapefruit was Richard Widmark. That's correct. Um, Barbara Eden. Well, that was the one where they uh, they were in Westport, Connecticut, at the uh, Diana. Oh, Diana. but yes, Buenos Dias Senior. Buenos Dias Senior. Yes, that was one of Barbara's first 
um, television appearances, by the way. Right. And in, a, uh, in an interview many years later, when they asked her about that, she said, I had to stay away as far as I could from Desi. Desi was a, Desi was a maniac. <laughs> Desi, Desi went after anything, anything that moved, yeah. apparently. Natalie Schaefer. Natalie Schaefer, who was Mrs. Howell on, on Gilligan's Island, and wasn't she, she played, oh, what did she play? She played some kind of a, not a society woman, but some woman at a store or something? Or... She played uh, uh, the head of, um, of a charm school. That's right. And this was in, uh, Lucy and Ethel go to charm school. Right. And uh, she, was, she was perfect for the part. She said, well, when one walks, one doesn't walk around like a sack of meal. Yeah. <laughs> one glides. <laughs> you know, I'd probably get these a lot quicker if I watched Lucy again. But again, as I mentioned this, uh, earlier this week, they put her on on MeTV at like 6.30 in the morning. It's just too early. I know. Now, the next two, I'm having a tough time recalling, okay? Jack Albertson. Jack Albertson, Chico and the Man. What what role did he play in I Love Lucy? I don't, I don't, I'm I'm racking my my brain trying to recall that one. And, you know, I saw Jack Albertson recently on a Twilight Zone, I think. No, it wasn't a Twilight Zone. I think it was a... Alfred Hitchcock presents, and you wouldn't have known it was Jack Albertson until you really took a good hard look. We're so used to seeing him, you know, with Chico and the Man, and also in the Poseidon Adventure, you know. And, and when he was younger, it was he was a different type of character actor. Oh, I, I maybe it was early, and it was a, a, a small bit role. I don't know, I, but I'm having a tough time remembering it. Also, Sandra Gould. I don't remember at all, Sandra Gould. No, I don't either. Um, and well, this one I remember. Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling was was in an island. Yes, Aaron. Sp- and, and you know something? If you don't know it, I wouldn't. I, I would not be shocked because it's it's a scene that is it, that is cut out. There's he's in two scenes in this in this particular episode, and the first part of that scene is cut out in the syndicated version. He shows up later on toward the end of the episode again. So it, it, I, he's, he's not there long enough to make a, a difference in that if you only see the second one, but if you see him both times, uh, he is in the episode, one of my personal favorites, and I know it's probably one of yours, he's in the episode of, of uh, when they're in Bent Fork, Tennessee with Teensy and Weensy. Really? Yes. The, the the missing opening the missing opening scene in the in the syndicated version is that is that the one where and uh, is this the one where they get lost and they ask somebody uh, how you can get get to you know get get away from Bent Fork and get and, away from well, well but, avoid from avoid going through Bent Fork well that part usually in the syndicated version that part is uh, what's cut out they're stopped at a service station uh, an old service station uh and aaron spelling is the gas he's the gas station guy right and how to avoid how to how to, you know they're asking him how to avoid to get to bent to bent fork he's he later shows up at, at the end of the episode toward the end of the episode when they they do the square dance square dancing. he's the yeah. fourth in the square dance 
But that yeah. is Aaron Spelling. That was his TV. That was his uh, wow. TV debut as a bit part, and he went on to be a, a huge television show producer. Wow. Amazing. Yes. And uh, Aaron, uh, Arthur, uh, well, uh, Orson Welles. <clears throat> oh, that was, that was, uh, he did the magic uh, act with uh, with Lucy. He levitates Lucy, correct? Uh, he levitates Lucy. That is correct. With the brooms? Uh, yes. Yeah. And she wants to do Shakespeare with him. And and she invites and she invites her uh, her Shakespearean uh, teacher from high school or whatever to come down to watch her. Played by Ellen Corby. Ellen Corby, Mrs. Walton, Mrs. Grandma Grandma Walton. Walton. Yeah. So uh, as far as the answers are concerned, um, <clears throat> uh, just I'm Jack Albertson. Uh, oh, I didn't recognize. Yeah, but you know why? You know, I, and here's another thing. This is probably why Jack Albertson, and this might be also in a scene that's cut out. He appears in the episode as the helicopter dispatcher from season five. So when they're really? in, in Europe, you know, and she's got to go on the helicopter. Right. Uh, right. That's that's Jack Albertson. Didn't realize that. And Sandra right. Gould, um, who played Gladys Kravitz on Bewitched. Now the episode comes back to me. That's in the episode where they buy uh, they buy stock in the in oil wells, where uh, uh, some oil tycoon right. moves into into an apartment, <clears throat> and Lucy overhears a conversation, and they think that 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 uh, they're being swindled. Right, and also uh, uh, Hayden Rourke. Uh, yes, Hayden Dr. Rourke, Doctor Doctor Bellows. Bellows uh, he was in an early episode when. Uh, uh, they were, um, she thought that they were, uh, spies, uh, spies from another, uh, yeah, spies from another, uh, country mm-hmm. and they were, they weren't, um, yeah. So there's been a lot of them, uh, yep. over the years. Yeah. Aaron Spelling, uh, produ- uh, produced Charlie's Angels, The Love Boat, uh, acting credits include season four, Tennessee Bound is the episode. Spelling plays a gas station attendant who uh, who uh, tries to, to uh, help them out by uh, getting them uh, away from Bent Fork, uh, past, uh, uh, not going through Best. And by the way, here's another one that, that you might not know. So, uh, Janet Waldo. <clears throat> the voice Jan- of Right. She was in an early episode where... Uh, the titled "Young Fans," where Richard Crenna is the, it plays the male, and the 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 uh, the boy, and <clears throat> she had this crush on Ricky, and Lucy and Ricky had to you know wind up, uh, uh, you know, pretending to be old, really old people, and that's an episode, by the way, that Vivian Vance and William Frawley were not in. Keep jiggling, baby. Yeah, keep jiggling. Yes, exactly. That's interesting that they that uh, there were a few episodes or at least one or two where uh, Fred and Ethel did not make an appearance. Yes, um, uh, William Frawley. Uh, I, I don't know why Vivian Vance wasn't in that in the episode, but William Frawley was probably shot around the time that the uh, uh, Yankees were in the World uh, World Series, and he was a very big uh, New, uh, New York Yankee fan, and he had it written into his contract that. <clears throat> if the Yankees were in the World Series, that he wouldn't be able to work during right. uh, during that time frame. So as it turned out, the Yankees were in the World Series, I think, six times in seven years while the yeah. show was on the air. So they had to uh, uh, they they had to uh, 
work around uh, his particular schedule. So, okay, so guess what, Mr. Rayo? Uh, sorry we weren't able to get Addison Green on, folks, but we sure did try, but he had to go into a meeting. Uh, so maybe we'll see if we can get a hold of him uh, tomorrow or Tuesday. In the meantime, we've gone a full hour and 15 minutes today on the uh, Joe and Joe Weather Show. So, uh, yes. Um, for we a, had a nice crowd, too. We had at one point, what, about 131 or? Yes. And for a Sunday in the summertime when the weather is hot and humid and most people want to be out on a beach or on a pool, uh, I, um, we, Joe and I uh, both um, uh, both appreciate that. Uh, thanks. I could stay out here all day, Joe. The sea breeze is so wonderful today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Reverses. Does anyone have a problem with editing out scenes from old shows because of the current political climate? Oh, that's a good. Well, I do. Um, I, 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 I actually do. I don't. I, I and, and also uh, with with respect to uh, certain movies, they were made a certain way, and I think uh, the shows were made in a certain way. I think we we're all adult enough. I, we should be all adult enough to understand the context. And I'm a, I'm a purist when it comes to uh, movie production and television production uh, and how the uh, how because there are lessons to be learned from those movies if they were done in a climate where the politics and the world was a different place. So I think, you know, that should be left up to the person. In my opinion, it should be just like a book. You should, re, you know, it's your choice to read a book, whether, it, you know, whatever it is, and it's your choice to watch a movie or a television show, whatever I, it is. I didn't even, I, I, I'm not a big fan or never was really a big fan of Happy Days per se, but Reaver 501 points out that on Happy Days, they now are digitally blurring out the Confederate flag in Richie's room. That That's amazing to me. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I look, I, I just, again, for me, it's about the integrity of what was produced, uh, the artists that produced it, and the people that wrote it and the people that direct it and they wanted it to look a certain way. I, I don't think that we should be setting in and editing stuff based on today's standards, because you know what, if we do that 50 years from now or 25 years from now or five minutes from now, somebody's going to take something that you've created and decide that it's not um, appropriate <clears throat> uh, in their view and they're going to take your work and they're going to change it. And I don't, I, I think that's wrong. I don't think you change people's work. It's amazing to me that they would do something like that on happy days. And meanwhile, domestic violence, which is of course a mainstay of many of the problems that we face in this particular society. If you wanted it, I mean, like, how do you allow Ralph on the honeymooners to continuously say more, more often than not, you know, <laughs> Alice, Bang, you're zoom. going to the moon, yeah. You're going to the moon or whatever, you know. Allowing that, you know, what's why, why haven't they touched that? I'm, you know, I don't know. Well, I, again, uh, it would be, uh, it would be an outrage. It, what about on I Love Lucy when Ricky would spank Lucy? Which that, that's on a exactly couple of ep right. episodes. That's right. I, I mean, when she's on the when she's on the uh, in the in the she makes makes the uh, living room. Look like a carnival, and she's on like a thing that looks like a, right. a merry-go-round, right. and he spins her around real fast. And then when she like gets off, like dizzy, grabs her and bang, bang. You know, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, again, it I, it boils down to the creator and whose work it is, and you don't screw around with other people's work. You don't have the. I don't believe you have the right to. Right. All right. That's why no, we I'm do. Happy. 
on that well, happy note. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that was an interesting uh, question. I didn't anticipate it. Uh, but that's our never to be humble opinions. Uh, and uh, if um, you disagree with that, well, what can I tell you? Okay. All right. So everybody have a, uh, a great rest of your Sunday. Joe and I will be back tomorrow at our regular time at seven o'clock Eastern time when we'll still have Marco and Laura <laughs> and, uh, and we'll go from there. And we'll be, of course, uh, looking at the uh, severe weather threats uh, for Tuesday for the Northeast and Northern Mid 